short, so give your attention to Caitlin, because I've experienced what happens when you don't pay attention to Caitlin. So pay attention to Caitlin. She's got an important announcement for you. Hi, welcome to Creekside. I'm glad you guys are all here. Um, I have an announcement about the Easter egg hunt. As you probably saw in the bulletin, it will be April 15th, which is the Saturday right before Easter. Our planning day is going to be the Saturday before the, the Easter egg hunt. So it's going to be April 8th. We need volunteers to help pass out flyers. We need volunteers to help pack eggs, and we need egg stuffers. So we need candy that is individually wrapped and can fit in an egg this size. We also need plastic eggs that we can hide. Our goal is 7,000 eggs, so we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> uh, on the Saturday, April 8th, we're going to have a packing and passing out flyers party. Um, there will be donuts and coffee if you come. So um, I have a couple of sign-up sheets that I will pass around. Um, there's three of them for the day of the Easter egg hunt. So helping hide eggs, helping decorate, helping kids find the, where they need to go, helping spray paint boundaries, setting up flags. Um, the next one is for packing eggs on April 8th. And the last one is helping pass out flyers on April 8th. So if you have any questions, let me know. Um, you can find me or my phone number is in the announcement if you need to call. So thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you that we have a risen, glorified Savior. Thank you that we stand this morning in your presence, those who have put our trust in you at perfect peace with you and, and seen by you through the lens of your Son, our Savior. Just pray this morning that as we open up your word, that we would see what that looks like day by day and that we would grow from it, that we would learn from it. Just pray that you would move everything away that might distract us from what your spirit would say to each one of us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Good to see everybody here this morning. I think I just uh, messed up here. Got my notes all over the place. Okay, so this is a week, I don't know what, we're about halfway through our series on Resident Aliens, which is a series on First Peter. And the reason we called it that is because we've been made a new people in Christ. Those who have been born again, those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus and know him as their Savior, have been born again. And we've been made a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood. We're the children of God. But we still live in this world with people who are not. And so there's changes in our behavior, there's changes in our relationships, there's changes in our hope, our outlook on life. It all changes because we are in Jesus. And so right now, we're getting ready to talk about the changes in our marriage. So we're, we're coming on chapter 3, it's about wives and husbands. And so we titled it today, Aliens at Home. You guys have heard that book called Men Are From Mars and... 
women are from Venus. So I kind of wanted to fit in Venetians and Martians and stuff, but Mike told me Venetians are from Venice, Rome, and it's Venusians. And so since I was confused, you guys would get confused, so let's just stick with aliens. Sometimes husbands and wives, it feels like we're aliens from each other. We just have different ways of, of thinking about things, um, different things we're looking out for, and that's how it works sometimes. But Peter, he was an apostle who was very qualified to talk about marriage because he had a wife. And we know that because Jesus went to his house and healed his mother-in-law. And as far as I know, you can't have a mother-in-law without having a wife if you're a guy. So Peter had a wife. Paul also talked about the fact that Peter, uh, is, he says he led about a wife. So we know that Peter had a wife, so he's speaking from experience, but he's also speaking as inspired by the Spirit of God. We know that that's how we got the Bible. It's the Spirit of God says moved men to write his word so that we have that today. And so some of these things, you know, we use this word countercultural sometimes when we want to be different from the people around us. Our culture tells us certain things that most people think are normal. But what Peter has in this chapter to say about husbands and wives goes against the culture of our day. It goes against the culture of 50 years ago in America. For those of us that like to say back in the good old days, things were better. You know, it goes against the culture that existed when Peter wrote this. And in fact, it goes against the culture that existed when Adam and Eve were escorted out of the Garden of Eden. Because there, there have been things all through the ages, all through the history of man, ever since the fall and the entrance of sin into this world that went against the way God designed male and female and marriage. And so we're just going to take a look at it. We're going to read it how it's written. You know, and, and when you're a guy, when you're a husband, and you're standing up in front of a room. Can I see the hands of everybody that's married? Okay, so it's, you know, a little bit like uh, walking on eggshells maybe, you know. <laughs> First you're talking to the wives, then you're talking to the husbands, and, and you might want to leave a little room between you and your spouse in case elbows start flying. Um, but we're, we're just going to take it as it is, right here in First Peter. But before we do that, I won't... I want to kind of underline what I said about God's design for men and women and for marriage. Because I'm going to go all the way back. We're going to go back to Genesis and just read a couple of verses that were written about a time before sin came into the world. Okay? So that first set of verses there, it says, Then God said, let us make man, and it could be mankind because it, it's not referring to males, it's talking about human beings. He said, let us make mankind in our image. So that's kind of interesting because God said our. So this is God as the Trinity talking about making mankind, not just males, but males and females. It says, in our image, after our likeness, and let them... Have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. Then in chapter 2, God says it's not good that the man should be alone because first he made the male. And then he put Adam to sleep, made Adam out of the dirt. He made Eve out of Adam's rib. We won't infer anything spiritually from that. Um, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him, and they shall become one flesh. So this was God's design for creating men and women. Adam had just gotten done naming all the rest of the creatures. God brought them two by two, and he gave them names. He categorized them. And in all of everything God had created, there wasn't anyone or anything that could be a helper for Adam. And God said, God said, this isn't good. And we know that God is never caught off guard. His plan was to create a female that perfectly complemented this male that he had created. And he calls her a helper for Adam. So we're made, as male and female, we are made in the image of God, the Trinity God. And so if you think about it, and I don't, I don't think any of us really understands the Trinity. If you do, you probably don't understand it. But there's three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they work as one. They, they've worked together in everything great that was done in the history of man, at least. And they work together. They have one purpose. They have one character and one goal and different roles. And you see it in the, the role that Jesus played as the Redeemer. You see it in the role that the Holy Spirit plays as the one that teaches us and as the one that Jesus called the helper. Just like God called Eve Adam's helper, the Holy Spirit is called the helper. We see in Ephesians 5 that God calls husbands to love their wives like Jesus loved the church. So there's a character of Jesus that's supposed to show up in us as husbands and as men. So that, that was God's design, and, it, and he said, we want him to have, it says, dominion over all the earth and every creeping thing in the earth. God's plan was for husbands and wives, men and women, to have dominion over the rest of the creation. So what's that mean? What's that mean to us today? I believe it means to us today that God's expectation is that we take control of what's going on around us to the extent that we can. I just threw some things up there. Our our homes, our jobs, our pets, our activities, our sports, the things we plug into our calendar, our yards, our gardens, our, our money, all of those things are to be under our dominion as husbands and wives, as man and woman, working together in our little realm of our family, of our home. God's design was for us to work together as one to take those things under control. Now, I know, you know, I don't have control of everything that happens to me and everything that goes around, on around me. But God's intention is for me and my wife in the sphere of our home and our family to work together to control what we can control. It says we make the plans and God can bless them 
if our plans are made in his fear. So that's one image that God gives in creation. Now Peter, he gives another image here that we'll read in a moment of a husband and wife as heirs together of the grace of life. And I think that is such a cool expression, even, even if I don't really know the full depth of what it means. Heirs together of the grace of life. That means me and my wife have received an inheritance from God, and it's called the grace of life. Everything we need for life, God has given us. And he's given it to us together as a unit. Heirs together. And his intention is that my wife and I, as one, move forward through this life, receiving grace from God for everything that comes up, expected and unexpected, and that we face it in his power, in his grace. And so, you know, I put this picture up here of this couple dancing, and I suppose that any of us that are married that have thought that we might live to be 80 or 90 would like to imagine that this, is, this would be what we're like. At that age, we're, you know, outside dancing together and in God's creation, healthy and freshly in love. Well, that doesn't happen by accident. That's not something that you start working on when you retire and you can spend more time together or after the kids move out. That's something that's built through the years from the day that you say, I do, until the day that we hope to attain that status in life of of having gone through life together. And I know that that's not the case with every marriage. It hasn't happened with every marriage. I know, you know, there are, there are many cases. And God, God gives grace for those, too. And I know that everybody in this room is not married. There were a number of you that didn't raise your hands when I asked who's married. But there are things we see as individuals in a marriage that also apply as individuals not married. And, and we'll point that out in a little bit too as well. So there's something for everybody in this. But, you know, I've, I'm not a dancer, and I've, I've never really did much dancing, you know. But a couple of years ago, we were at the fair, and we saw that they had a half-hour lesson um, to learn the two-step. So Debbie and I went up there, and we tried to learn the two-step. And it was interesting. <laughs> Debbie's feet are getting better, but we learned some things actually, you know, and the, you know, these instructors, they're professional dancers, and they were trying to fit like four weeks of instruction into a half hour, and I don't learn that quick, and, but, but there was some, some kind of cool things in the experience that we learned, and a couple of them, I think, correspond to what we're going to read here. The, the instructor said, men, you're supposed to lead and you are supposed to make your wife look good or your partner look good. And the women are supposed to know the steps too. And they're supposed to know the signals. And it wasn't, you know, you don't lead by saying, okay, now we're going to do a spin. You don't, I don't know, there's any number of ways you might be able to lead, but they said just give a little tap on the shoulder when it's time, you know, for the inside spin or this side when it's the outside spin, and I've kind of forgotten most of what I learned, but I learned that in the beauty of a dance, there is someone taking initiative and someone following. 
And if it's not clear who's who, it, it doesn't work. I mean, it, there's also the fact that individually, if we don't know what's going on, you know, if I don't know the, what the basic step of a two-step is, I'm not going to be able to do that with anyone, even the best dancer in the world. So enough of, of that on dancing. Let's just move on here to our passage in 1 Peter 3. And I'm going to just read it first, and then we'll, we will jump into it a little bit. 1 Peter chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, otherwise it's on the screen. Kind of small print because I put the whole thing on one screen. But if you have your phones or, or your Bible, please read along. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is in God's sight very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. There's that expression. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So the first thing that jumps out to me about this is, is we've got um, six verses for the wives and one for the husband. And so that, that might seem a little out of balance, but look at it a little bit. In the first six verses, there's some instruction. There's some feelings talked about. There's other women's experiences, you know, and then it, it wraps up with a, a comfort that comes by the obedience of this. So there's all, all these things going on um, in these first six verses. And the instructions to men, it's one verse. It fits in our attention span. And I'm imagining that probably in the you know, in the original language, it was bullet points. There's like three or four bullet points all packed into one verse there. Don't miss this, men. You can catch it all in your own attention span. And then it kind of ends up, actually, if, if you pay attention to that, with a little threat at the end. <laughs> so for the women, it, it says, you know, do these things and don't be afraid. For the men, it says, do these things or God's not going to listen to you. And I think that is a, another sign of who created us and who wrote this word. God knows how to communicate, doesn't he? He knows how to communicate with the men he created. He knows how to communicate with the women he created. So I'm going to try my best to, to follow along with what God says here and bring out the truth of, of what this chapter says. But I'm sure I'll miss the communication points, um, being a man and everything. So first of all, the very first word in this chapter in my translation is likewise. And likewise means in the same way. So that should, that was a, you know, a clue to me that this is something that's in a context. And when we first 
looked at the outline of 1 Peter, we saw, you know, it starts with our new identity. It talks about our behavior of holiness, the way that we should act. And then it starts talking about our relationships. It talks about our relationship to the government, our relationship to our boss at work, our relationships with husbands, with a, a wife's relationship to her husband, a husband's relationship to his wife, and then all of our relationships to each other. So back in chapter 2, verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay, so he brings in this topic of subjection. And he says, you guys, you've got a bad government, submit to it. Verse 18 of chapter 2, servants, be subject to your masters. So this was probably talking about slaves, as Nick mentioned, but it, it applies too to us as employees who have bosses. Be subject to the person that's paying your check, writing your paycheck. Then it says in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, you wives, and it talks about submission to husbands. And then it says in verse 7, likewise, husbands. And then it talks about a husband. Really, it doesn't use the word submission, but it talks about the fact that he needs to lead and take the initiative in his family in a way that is understanding and subject his goals and desires and and wishes to his wife's needs, to God's direction for his family. And so then in verse 8, the section that I'll start next week, says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. And so we see a little reflection of the image of God here in this, in all of our human relationships. He says, all of you have unity of mind. And that's kind of the essence of God's oneness, is the unity of mind. God, who is one in spirit, one in essence, of one mind. And that's supposed to be true of us in our human relationships. And at the highest level, perhaps, as brothers and sisters in Christ, finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart. But this relationship between husbands and wives, while there is one who is called the head, and we'll, let's just go ahead and, and jump into that, but we will have daily the need to submit ourselves to someone else's desire. No matter what roles we're in in life, we will. And so that is how God is taking us through our human relationships and telling us what, what does that submission to one another look like and he gets very specific so we'll get very specific now so let's just go through quickly this um, section on wives quickly or not quickly I don't know so the, first of all I kind of saw three things in in this section that I think were everything else kind of ties to more or less first of all wives your relationship with God comes first Kyle talked about it last week. In general, for our, you know, we can put our families in a place of idolatry above God. Wives, your relationship with God comes first. Your great beauty is inward, and your design as the helper. All the way back to the creation of man, women were designed as a helper. So let's go one step deeper on this. So verse 1, it says, So that even if they 
speaking of husbands that don't believe, may be one. I was reading, you know, my, uh, I got this new study Bible. I ordered it online, so when it came in the mail, I was like, wow, this is, this is a, <laughs> this would be a good Bible for a, a Bible thumper, because if I thumped you with that, you wouldn't get up for a little while, but it has some cool notes, and it said that there was some marriage advice books written at about the same time Peter wrote this, and this, this guy said, you know, a wife has to have the same friends as her husband, has to have the same God as her husband for marriage to work. And Peter says no. So this is, a, you know, the countercultural aspect of what Peter's saying right from the beginning. He says, it's right if a, hus- if a wife's husband does not believe in God, does not put her trust in the Lord Jesus, it's right for her to pursue her faith and her relationship with God and to seek to win her husband over. So the relationship between you as an individual person and your God is important. It has to be maintained. And it has to come first in your life. Then it, it refers down in verse 5, the holy women who hoped in God. And holiness, remember, that is an outcome of who we are in Jesus. The fact that we are born again, that we are children sons and daughters of God, we are holy. We're being made holy. We're growing in sanctification. That's what sanctification means. And so your relationship and your behavior is one-on-one with God in holiness. And also, your hope is in God. Your hope is not in your husband. You know, if I think... We probably, those of us that are married and those of us that hope to be married, we've had this thought in our heads, and maybe we haven't ever really gotten rid of it, but when I get married, my husband or my wife is going to meet all my needs. It doesn't work that way. And we, we go, if we go into marriage with that thought, pretty soon friction starts coming out of that because your husband can't meet all your needs. Your wife can't meet all your needs. And so then some people say, well, you need your friends to meet all your needs. Well, your friends can't meet all your needs either. Your hope is in God. Only our God can meet all of our needs. And that's a foundational thing for wives in relating to their husband. So moving on to the next thing that this passage talks about is beauty. And our culture, our society is very taken up with beauty. I mean, there, there's magazines, books, shows about beauty. It's a, it's a great industry. And Peter's not, I don't think Peter's saying here, you shouldn't take care of yourself, you shouldn't dress nice, you shouldn't do your hair. He's saying that's not where your true beauty lies. Your true beauty is in the hidden person of the heart, the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. And I think we know what gentleness is. And that should actually, that's, that's a fruit of the Spirit. It should mark all of us. Husbands and wives should be gentle. And then there's this quiet spirit. And I, I was looking up what that word quiet means because um, it, it could be taken a few different ways. But here's a definition I want to read to you. A divinely inspired inner 
quietness, an inner quietness. The inward beauty is in a quiet spirit. What's that mean? It means that you are trusting and resting in what God has made you. See, that takes away the pressure on others to meet my needs. It takes away the pressure on your husband to have a full understanding of you. It takes away the pressure of you to, in an outward way, perform up to the standards of others. That's not what it's about. It's God. God has made you his daughter. You are accepted before God in Jesus. You were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. You, if you have put your trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you have a sure hope that can never be taken away from you. Never. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on how you look. It's not based on how well you take care of yourself. It's based on how God sees you. And that's not going to change. That is not going to change. So keep a hold of that. And that, that helps us in all of our relationships, but especially in that husband-wife relationship. So finally, you're designed as the helper. Verse 1 and verse 5 both say, be subject to your husbands. And then verse 5, it says, not fearing anything that is frightening as Sarah. And that, that sounds a little confusing at first or a little unclear at first. I, I think there's probably a few different ways that, that when it talks about what's frightening, that that could be taken. One, well, I looked at a couple different translations and I guess personally I was a little offended at one of them. It says, without fear of what your husband might do. So, I mean, why would my wife ever be afraid of anything I might do? I, I don't know. But obviously Peter thought things that husbands do can be scary. And I think there's a, a few different ways. One is that if you think of a woman as a believer and her husband's not a believer and he's opposed to Christ, then there may be, uh, as far as threats, there may be just kind of a, a complaining about the, sp- the time that you spend with your Savior. There may be time complaining and criticism of time spent in the Word of God. And y- you need to pursue your relationship with God without fear of that from your husband. And it, it's inappropriate for him, but you need to pursue with it. Okay? Another reason that it might be frightening is sometimes husbands do things that seem a little crazy. And Peter, maybe he's thought of himself when he did this. You know, there was a day when he went to work. He was a fisherman, and he was fishing, catching fish. When he came home that day, if he came home that day, the next time he came home, think of that conversation with his wife when he said, hey, I quit my job. And his wife's like, you quit your job, so what are you doing now? Like, well, I'm, I'm following this guy. He said he's going to make me fishers of men. Okay. Well, who, who is this guy? Well, I don't know. His name is Jesus. He came to me and said to me and my brother, he said, come follow me. And so we left our boat, we left our fish nets, we left the fish, and we went and followed Jesus. Do you think there was a little anxiety on the part 
of Peter's wife? Do you think there's a little tension in that conversation as Peter explained to his wife what he had just done? I think there probably was. It was a little frightening, but Peter was doing the right thing, wasn't he? He was following Jesus. So sometimes even when we do the right thing, it's frightening to be in a position where your life is tied so closely with someone else's as they follow Jesus. And then sometimes husbands do things that are just selfish, you know, and can compromise your safety. But you know what? God is looking out for you. And he, he references Sarah. And a couple of times when Abraham and Sarah were traveling around, they're trying to get out of uh, a famine, and Abraham goes into this new uh, country, and he tells his wife, he says, you're beautiful. And these guys here, they're going to think you're beautiful too. Because anybody can see that you're beautiful. And they might kill me to get you, since I'm your husband. So let's just tell them that you're my sister. And then, when they take you, they at least won't kill me. <laughs> so think about that from Sarah's perspective. How comforting is that? You know, they can take you and do what they want with you, as long as they don't hurt me. What happened in that those, both of those instances, God came in on behalf of Sarah, and he protected her. So God is on your side. And it's a vulnerable position to have somebody else be the one that's responsible for God, for leading and taking the initiative in your relationship and the way that, that your family goes. But God, as we'll see as we look at the husband's um, instructions, God is on your side in a very special way. So from a husband's perspective, three, three things here I called out. One, leadership as servanthood. Leadership as servanthood. Another is understanding your wife and understanding your purpose. And then finally, you have a new relationship with God the day that you say I do to your wife. So let's talk about that just a little bit more here. So it says, likewise, husbands showing, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. That word honor, I looked that up because it sounds a lot like respect. And the, the definition is the honor of one who outranks others and who is in preeminence. So we're not talking about a relationship of equality. We're talking about Husbands looking up to their wives as the ones who out, outrank us in honor and preeminence. We're their servants. God expects us to take the initiative to be the head, to lead, but to do that in a way that honors our wives so that anybody looking at us would say, he respects her. He holds her up in honor as more valuable than himself. Think about Ephesians 5. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's what God expects from us husbands, that we honor our wives in that way. Now, this next one, it says, it says right here in the Bible, um, in verse 7, live with your wives in an understanding way. So I have to tell a story on on the men's Bible study group, I, I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, I, you know, stuck my neck out. I said, I'm reading a book on understanding your wife. And, and there was a lot of laughter in that room. 
you talk about understanding your wife and, and people laugh. I'm sure some of you have seen this meme going around on Facebook, right? Volume one of the book, Understanding Women, has arrived in stores. And here's this clueless guy trying to read through it, see if he can understand. But you know what? God doesn't laugh at that. He says, live with your wives in an understanding way. He has an expectation of us that we understand our wives. And as different people, different kinds of people, it doesn't say think like your wife, it says understand her. And there's no way we're going to get to that without communication. I've even tried, like I tried reading that book, you know, and I tried put, I tried uh, doing some of the things in that book, and, and our small group can tell you what a success that was. We have to talk to our wives to understand our ways. We have to ask them questions. And, yeah, we even have to listen. We might have to shut up and listen for a while to live with our wives in an understanding way. And that's the way God expects us to live with our wives and to lead in our families. Then, finally, your new relationship with God as a husband the end of verse 7 says, Husbands, you do these things so that your prayers will not be hindered. And that was another word I looked up, hindered. Because what's this mean? I mean, it, prayers. It means like something is quickly thrown in the path of a moving object. That's what hindered means. So what God's saying here is, Husbands, if you're not living with your wife in an understanding way, and if you're not honoring them, Talk to the hand. I'm not listening when you pray. <laughs> Read it. Study it. That's what God is saying. And so you've entered into a new relationship as a husband with God. He's now your father-in-law. Nick's hiding back there. <laughs> He's your father-in-law. God is your father-in-law. He values his daughter and holds her as very precious and she knows that from his word, and he holds you to that. And so if you want to pretend like everything's good between you and God, but it's not good between you and your wife, God knows better. He knows better. So I've, I've got a prayer that I pray sometimes, and I just learned it in the last year or two, and I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm not slow learning it, but every now and then, Debbie and I don't see everything eye to eye, and we, you know, we don't communicate it clearly, and, and some tension comes in, and some people call it a fight, but really it's just a conversation, and you get this tightness, you know, and you can't sleep, and you feel angry, and you want to go to God and pray, and so many times when I've been that way, it's like it's not getting through. Well, God's saying, your prayers are hindered. I've thrown something sharply in the way of your prayers. But I have found a prayer that gets through. And it goes, it goes like this. That God, you know hearts, and you can change hearts. And you know that my wife is being ridiculous. <laughs> and you know that I don't have any fault in this matter, but I'm open to listening. But would you talk to her and just help her understand? Because I tried and it didn't work. And you can talk to God that way. And there's that one little part where I said, you know, 
I'm open to listen if you got something to say to me that I did wrong. That God answers. That's the one part. He makes this little hole in this, in this hindrance of my prayer to let that part come through. And I found that God, he actually answers prayers. He does. And so it doesn't take all that long before I realize, oh, I said that. Oh, man. Yeah, I can see where that, you know, that might not have gone over real well. And so, yeah, I, I, I could probably apologize for that. And so, I do apologize for that. After, you know, sufficient amount of time has gone by. <laughs> and then, sometimes, my wife says, well, I'm sorry that I did such and such. Oh, cool. Sometimes she doesn't, though. And it doesn't matter, though, because God has answered the part of my prayer that he could let get through, and he's changed my heart. And that takes that time of stress, and it, and it reduces that, that window of, of anxiety significantly. I recommend you pray that prayer, guys. I do. And it, pray it in faith, because God will, he can even talk to our hearts. And then leave the talking to your wife's heart to him. Not, I'm not saying you can't, you can't communicate things that hurt your feelings or, or make you feel disrespected. That, that's all part of communication and our growing together. So let's wrap it up here. Heirs together of the grace of life. Do you want that? You want that? You want someday if Jesus leaves us here and we become... 80 or 90 year old couples do you want to be dancing together and enjoying life together so here's a few things listen to the music because dancing goes better with music where do you get the music read God's word and pray do that as individuals and do that as couples there's no way around it second know the moves so here I'm saying we need to communicate our wives can't follow our lead if they don't know what we're doing, where we're going. We need to communicate that. We can't understand our wives if we don't ask them questions and talk to them and listen to them. So communicate. Understand the needs and understand what the goals are as aligned to God. And then dance. Know your role. Live it out. Lead husbands. Lead by serving. Wives, submit without fear. And then you will be heirs together of the grace of life. Not just aliens at home that have a hard time connecting, but heirs together of the grace of life. The band can come back up now, and we will take communion. You know, in the first chapter of 1 Peter, we talked about how sin came in to the relationship between Adam and Eve. And if you read what God says is going to happen to them, their relationship goes from completing one another, complementing each other's character, to competing with one another. The wife's Eve's desire became against her husband. Adam's desire became to have dominion over his wife. He was supposed, they were supposed to have dominion together over the creation, but there was a change in Adam's attitude, and he wanted to have dominion over his wife. That wasn't, that wasn't the idea. That's a different concept than leadership as God sees it in marriage. So, Jesus 
redeemed that relationship too on the cross. First Peter 1, it says, we're not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from our, from our empty lifestyle, but with the precious blood of Christ. And, and so the cross impacts everything. It can restore that kind of relationship that God intended for husbands and wives to have, and we can have that in his way because of the cross and because of the life that he's given us. So let's just give thanks for the loaf and the cup and come forward and take communion. Lord Jesus, thank you for your death on the cross. Thank you for your resurrection, that you have overcome sin, you've overcome death, that you rose from the dead. Thank you that you've given us a new life through faith in you. Just thank you for this loaf and its reminder of your body given for us. Thank you for the juice and the reminder it is of your blood shed for us. Remind us as we take it this morning in your name. So that uh, expression, heirs together of the grace of life. The next verse beyond what we talked about says, For finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So as you know, this is Nick and Heather's last Sunday here. They're going out as heirs together with us. Their work will be in a different place, but we're still going to be together in spirit one mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart. A couple weeks ago, I'm reading through the Psalms, and I, I came across this Psalm, and I thought, this is the prayer that I pray for you. And I think we all can pray it together. And so let's just close, and I'll read this Psalm as, as our closing prayer. It's Psalm 20 from the choir director, a Psalm of David. In times of trouble, may the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. May he grant you your heart's desires and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. So we give this to you guys and those that are going to be working together with you as our prayer together, as we're heirs together of the grace of life. Thanks, Bob. And I know, again, just from Heather and I and the whole family, that we just, we love you. Um, it has been an honor and a privilege to serve with you. Um, and he's right, like we fight on the same side. We fight for a king that will never let us down. And, um, and it is, it's a fight. Get in the fight. Get in the fight. Let me pray for you. God, I just thank you for these people. Thank you for this church. You're going to do amazingly, immeasurably more than any of us could ask or imagine. God, we pray that we, you would start here, start in Urbandale. God, I pray that anybody in here that is not in the fight, God, that you would just inspire them, 
Give them your spirit to be in the fight, God. That this is what life is all about. This is where the rubber meets the road. Father, I pray that every heart in this room knows that we love them and even more so knows that you love them no matter what. No matter what state they are in right now, God, they don't have to wait to be right to go occupy their street. God, you loved us while we were still sinners. You died for us while we were still sinners. God, we, we claim the power of the blood of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that is in us to fight and win ground for the kingdom of God. We love you, God, and we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you and thank you for everything. He is a friend of